It's time to dig in and discuss the questions on the minds of today's leaders. You are listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. This is where we get vulnerable, raw, and authentic about the stuff that really matters. Now, here is your host, Kathleen Reeson. Welcome to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. I'm your host, Kathleen Reeson, and today we're talking about the common pitfalls of leading a powerful team. So if you are leading a powerful team, then you understand that there's going to be things that make it challenging to lead. That's all of us. We've all encountered that. But what we're talking about today is what are some of the most common? So I have pulled the five most common pitfalls of leading a powerful team, and we're going to work through them. So I'm actually going to give those five to you right now. So that way, if you miss the rest of the show, you've got the answers right in front of you. So that's exciting. Number one common pitfall of leading a powerful team is that we tell versus coach, that we tell versus coach. We're going to get into that. Number two is accountability. Number three is fireman or firewoman leadership or fireperson leadership. Number three or number four is not clearly communicating expectations. And number five is projecting. Okay, so number one, telling versus coaching. Number two, accountability. Number three, fire person leadership. Number four, not clearly communicating expectations. And number five, projecting. These are the common pitfalls of leading a powerful team. Now, there are tons, but again, these are our most common. So we can use all kinds of words to describe those, and I'm going to. But what I want to share with you is that these five things, as much as we want to say that the common pitfalls are things that happen outside of us, they're things that happen in other people. There are dynamics within the team, whatever it is that's out there, that's simply not true. The common pitfalls are actually about how we as leaders lead the team. And that's one of the things that we often get messed up. We think that one of the most common pitfalls is out there. It's something that happens outside of us, but it truly is about how we lead the team. So let me ask you this in another way. So I was, I was leading a presentation a couple months ago, and I, was, I had a lot of people in the room, a lot of leaders, a lot of employees. It was a really great swath of just people that are in the working environment. And these are, these are mid-level or above, college-educated, so it gives you a background on the people that were in this audience. And I said to them, there were about 250 people there. And I said, what is your most common challenge right now? So think about that. If you were asked that question, how would you answer that? So 181 people responded, 181. And of these responses, they were really telling. And I'm just going to read through a couple of responses. Like this is what's on the mind when we talk about the average powerful team. If you look at the person that is in the team, the team member, this is what's on their mind. Okay. These are the questions they have on their mind. How do I balance work and life issues? How do I take care of all the tasks at home and work and still have time for myself? Not enough hours of the day. Should I have children? Where is the best place for me to live? Not sure where to start getting back into the workforce after staying home. How do I get the skills if I don't have them? My work experiences qualifies me to do the same job in the same industry. How can I make my portfolio more transferable? How do I find a job I actually enjoy? What do I want to do for a job? How do I know if I'm truly happy at a company if I've never worked anywhere else? 
burning out of my, of my job. I have a job, but don't know where to go professionally. Transitioning back into employment from self-employed. Process for making a career change. Deciding how to make the right career change. How do I get my employees' attention when I re-enter the workforce after raising my children for the last 20 years? So we had some people that were, that were coming back into the workforce. Do I want to start a small business or keep working for this organization? Should I launch a new career? Should I change jobs? Interviewing after the age of 60. How do I rediscover my passion for my job? Stay in my current career path or shift? How to advertise my best self on the job market? Is it time to look for a new job? Procrastination. How to communicate an idea? I can go on and on and on. And I'm going to cover just a few more of these, but you can start to see some themes here. How do you make friends as an adult? Navigating a new position. Keeping good employees. How do I maintain employee engagement and satisfaction? How do we navigate getting back to a good work culture while the staff is working hybrid? How do I get my supervisor to listen to and value team members? How do I work with someone who does not respect my position? How do I talk to my supervisor about my desire to use the new WorkFlex program? I can't say no enough times. How do I do that? Fear of missing family and friends when taking a big leap. Leap. Forcing, focusing amidst chaos. And one of my personal favorites, do I need to update my leadership style? How do I trust someone and successful team building? So those are just a few, right? There were 181 responses. But the real key here is that there are all kinds of things on people's minds. So when you think about the team members, it's we've got all kinds of stuff coming on. When somebody is walking into work, whether it's in front of a computer at home or whether they're sitting at a desk somewhere, they are bringing all of these questions to work. And we're saying, all right, now focus on the task at hand. And most of the time, what I'm seeing happen is that we don't embrace that an employee really does have all those thoughts on their mind. And so when it goes to question number one, point number one about common pitfalls of a team, telling versus coaching. Oftentimes, we've got somebody that comes to us, an employee that comes to us, and they ask a question. That's that's kind of the top level because remember everything that I just read to you, this is the deep stuff that's on their mind. But this isn't somebody's probably not coming to you as their boss and saying, "Hey, how do I get work-life balance?" So if they were super emotional intelligent and they really could articulate that that is the challenge, amazing. But most of the time with our bosses, what we're saying is, "Hey, I'm I'm a little uh, overwhelmed. We got a lot of stuff going on here at work." And I'm not sure how to prioritize. You ever heard that? Have you heard people say that? And so we're thinking the challenge is how do we support them in prioritizing? Because that's what they said to us. They said, I'm having a challenge with prioritizing. But what they're really saying underneath it is, whew, work is taking over my life and I don't have that work-life balance. Okay, let's go to another one and see telling versus coaching. So when we tell, we're only answering the question at the top that they state, but we're not answering underneath and digging in. So let's just go into another one, okay? So I'll go into more of a, oh, let's see. Uh, I'm looking at a random, so I'm, I'm picking through to see what a good one would be. All right, how do I need to update my leadership style? That was one that we came up to. So somebody generally is not going to come to you as the employer and say, hey, how do I update my leadership style? They're going to say something about a challenge that's not working with their leadership style. So how do I get somebody to trust me? My team doesn't 
seem to listen when I talk. When I tell my team something, they don't listen. Have you heard that one? Okay, so, so they're saying that, but underneath it, we're saying it's how you're showing up as a leader. Okay, but the, what they're saying to you, remember, because when, when somebody's coming to you, they're talking from a very higher level. So they're saying, I asked my team to, I asked so-and-so on my team to do this and they didn't do it. And so now we're saying, we're, we're, we're digging in deeper and asking what's really the question. So in telling versus coaching, telling is saying, I'm going to tell you exactly how to do something. I'm not going to dig in. It's also, you've heard me talk about the difference between consulting versus coaching. Consulting is I have the answer and I'm going to teach it to you. So the, the bottom line for all of this is that knowing that when your employees come to you or when you see them struggling, instead of telling them how to fix the challenge, our job in leading a powerful team is to coach. It's to be curious and ask questions. Tell me what's going on. Tell me more about your challenge. And we're listening for what's underneath. Because remember, we speak at a higher level. We want to look for what's underneath. So when we ask questions and when we get curious, we are coaching them. I have a client right now who says to me, well, my employees, they set these deadlines, but they don't ever follow up with them. And so I hear, so this case, this project, this is exact scenario that a client came to me came to me and said, I had an employee who said they were going to run this big project. And I asked them when the project would be complete. And in this case, so it's March, she said it was going to be done at the end of April. But I have no faith that she's actually going to do it. And so now I feel like every single week or day, I get to follow up with her and ask her what she's doing and how she's moving towards it. And I get to tell her how to do the job, but I don't want to tell her how to do the job. I want her to know how to do the job. And I thought, well, this is really interesting. So that is a scenario that my client is experiencing. Perhaps you've experienced that. And so when we dug into it, what I found was this employee has a history of saying that she's going to do the work and then not doing it. Of saying she's going to do the work and not doing it. And what I found out was they are in a work from anywhere situation. This employee, so she's not in the office very often. And, and here's the key point. When this, this client calls the employee to follow up, the employee does not return phone calls in a timely manner. So now you've got an employee who's not unresponsive, but she doesn't respond in a timely fashion. She isn't hitting deadlines and she doesn't, he doesn't believe that she's going to follow through on the work. So I asked this question, I got curious and I said, what percentage do you believe that she's showing up? So out of a hundred percent is like a player, what percentage is she showing up? And he says, 50%. I said, are you okay with that? Because it's really easy to say, no, of course I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with 50%. But here's the reality. The average employee shows up at 50%. I was coaching someone else the other day and she, she is a, a 100% player. She is a total A player. And she says, I get so frustrated because these 50 percenters, they don't show up all the time. And I don't understand why they're still on the team. That was a separate client. 
But I went to my client who's got a 50% on his team. And I said that, why is she a part of the team? And he says, because I believe she can be more than 50%. I just haven't figured out how to get it out of her yet. Oh, boom, right there. Telling versus coaching. He was on the cusp of learning this. He says, my style right now isn't working to support her, but I believe that if I can change my leadership style, then I can support her. Okay, so hear that? I just walked you through how I got there with my client. He wasn't saying, I got to change my leadership style. He was saying, my employee is showing up, not at 100%. He was saying, I ask, I call my employee and she doesn't respond right away. But underneath it, he was really saying, I get to change my leadership style. So if I would have just told him how to solve the problem, we wouldn't have gotten there. But I got to actually coach him. And this is the exact same philosophy that you can use in your business to lead powerful teams. Ask questions. Be curious. Look at what's happening around you. Because when you just tell somebody how to solve it, you're giving them the answer. That's consulting. I have the answer and I'm going to give it to you. But coaching is when you get really curious, you ask questions and you lead them down a path so that they can uncover their own answer. My client was the one that said, I believe that my 50 percenter could be a hundred percenter if I show up. And this is just, just a philosophy here that I'm going to share with you is that I believe everyone has the ability to be a hundred percenter. It just depends on the environment that they're in and the coaching that they receive. So just because somebody may not be 100% with me doesn't mean they can't be 100%er. Everyone can be 100%er. It's our jobs to figure out in what environment can they be 100%. Whenever I let someone go, I used to say I'm firing somebody. That used to be my terminology. Now I say I get to allow them to be successful somewhere else. Now that sounds like real leadership speak and, you know, Kathleen, come on, you're firing somebody. But in reality... What I'm saying is that here is not the environment and the coaching that I'm providing isn't allowing you to be at 100%. So I'm I'm gonna be respectful of your time and my time and I'm going to create a scenario where you get to be successful somewhere else and find your 100%. You may or may not ever find it, but I'm gonna do what I can to get you there. And that means that it's not happening here. So it's a shift in the mindset, but that comes in a very difference between telling, telling doesn't get you there, but coaching, coaching can. So telling versus coaching. That's one of the most common pitfalls. We've got the four others to discuss, but before we do that, we're going to go on a quick break. You're listening to the Kathleen Reeson show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. Talk to you in just a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on the Kathleen Reeson show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. 
eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email become a host at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reason Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. Today, we're talking all about the common pitfalls of leading a powerful team. We went through number one already, which is telling versus coaching. And now we're on to number two, which is accountability. So I was talking with another client the other day, and we were talking about accountability. When this client expressed frustration because he had an employee who was leading a major event. The major event is happening here in a few weeks, and he was worried that there wouldn't be people at the event. And he says, I ask questions, I, I ask for details, and I'm really just not getting anywhere. And I said, okay, this is interesting. Tell me more. And he goes, well, it seems like she's not engaged in wanting to know the, my take. I have things that I could offer to her, but she's not wanting it. And my goal really is just that we get the number of people at this event that we talked about. Okay, cool. So I started to get really curious on how he was holding this person, this employee accountable. And what I found out was that they had indeed set a date for the event. That had happened, but there was no promotion to date about it. There really was no marketing plan that supported it. And he wanted to provide support for marketing plan. I said, are you willing to let this event fail? And he, he looked at me and he says, hmm, I, I didn't think about that. Am I willing to let it fail? I said, is this a major event that drives major revenue or some other reason where this event is critical that it succeeds? And he says, no, that, it's not that. I said, oh, okay. So is it okay if this event, if no one shows up, is, is that okay? Because yeah, we'll be fine. I said, okay. So here's the deal. So this person is running without a marketing plan, is running without goals, is running on their own, thinking that they could be successful. And maybe she can. And maybe she's not going to be. But if we're willing to let her fail, and this is the piece that I often see missed with accountability, is that we, as the, as the coach, or the leader, we want it worse. We want it more than the person that's actually, that we're asking to be held accountable. And that doesn't work. It never works. So, if we want to hold people accountable, we get to be willing to let them fail, which means I'm not going to do it for you. I'm going to hold you accountable to doing this. So this person has an event. This person has set a goal for the number of people that'll be there. And that either is or isn't going to happen. Now, as a, as a coach, the way that I coach my client on this is absolutely, he gets to follow up and say, how are you working towards this goal? Can I support you in any way? But if this person says no, 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 then our biggest chance for accountability is to hold the line and remember the goal and hold the vision for it. So if we want, let's say, 300 people at this event, well, on the day of the event, we're going to know whether we hit that result or not. We either have 300 people at this event or we don't. Now, here's where accountability comes so beautifully. And the part that we often miss when we're leading a powerful team, this is the pitfall right here. It's the debriefing moment. It's at the end of the event or a timely portion afterwards. It doesn't have to be at that moment, but it could be within the next hour or day or couple days. 
And we say, hey, let's review this event. And so my client, when he meets with this employee, he says, okay, so what I heard you say before this event that we agreed upon was that there would be 300 people at this event. So tell me how many people were at this event. And so then this person gets to be held accountable. So if this person, number of scenarios is going to happen. One, they had 300 people there. Yay. Cool. Okay, it all worked. They didn't need your support. So it worked. They had more than 300 people there. Same thing. Great. It worked. Didn't need your support. It worked. They had less than 300 people there, or they have no idea how many people were there. They didn't track their results. So if those last two happen, let's look at those individually. If those last two happen, the first one being they had less than 300 people. Then the next question gets to be, okay, so I heard you had a goal of 300 people and we didn't hit that goal. What was in the way? And this comes from a very neutral perspective. And so now the employee gets to think about that. What was in the way? Huh, okay. And they're either gonna come up with some answers that are gonna be supportive or they're not going to come up with anything. And you're going to say, are you open to feedback? And then you can say, my experience is that you didn't have a marketing plan. My experience is that you didn't ask for support. I was here asking you if you would like support. You said no each time. And so then it's an opportunity. It's not a, I told you so. Ha <laughs> ha, I told you so. You couldn't run this event without me. It's not that at all. It's saying, hey, there was support around you to get you across the finish line with 300 people. And what was in the way from you taking it? What was in the way from you receiving that support? What would it be like next time? What do we get to create next time? Now, there's absolutely things that work. And so when you're in a reflection period like this and you're holding someone accountable, the first question we really get to ask is what worked. But when you get to the nitty gritty of it, you're saying, what was in the way? Okay. Now, if they don't know the results, if they have no idea how many people were there, we get to start there of, well, where are we not tracking our results? There could have been 300 people there. We don't know. But based on a guesstimate, how many do you think are there? So the first lesson is what didn't work. We aren't in relationship with our results. So they could have had lots of different people that tactics they could have put into place. They could have had a counter for somebody to count how many people were there with the little you know, clicker as they walk in. Have you ever walked into a carnival and they click, click, click so they know how many people are there? There's lots of different tactics that could have been used, but not being in relationship with their results, that is key. So we say, what doesn't work? That would be one of them, okay? Then we go back to the exact same question. So if we believe them that they are under the 300, then we have those questions related to that. If we believe that they are at or over 300, then okay, really the thing that gets to be solved is being in relationship with your results. How do we celebrate? How do we acknowledge if we don't even know what our results are? That'd be like if you had a money goal. Like, let's say I'm going to raise a raise million dollars. But at the end of the day, I don't know how much money I raised. It just went into a bank account. I, I can't acknowledge that. Now, that sounds silly because a lot of us, we're going to know how much money came in. But in reality, most of us are not in relationship with our results. We just don't know. And so that is a part of the challenge, too. So in holding people accountable, holding yourself accountable, same thing. First of all, you've got to set clear deadlines and goals so that you know what you're working towards. And then you get to be the person that's holding your team and the people around you and yourself accountable. So maybe they are, your team members aren't asking you for support. Okay, it's all right to let them fail, but follow up. 
I can't tell you how many times I have seen people commit to a goal, but then the timeline comes and goes and they just let it go. Like, oh, I forgot about it or I'm not going to acknowledge it because I didn't hit it. I don't want to see it. We're just going to pretend it didn't exist. And that is not accountability. That is a common pitfall. So our job is to hold people accountable, hold the line for them. Don't let them off it. That can be uncomfortable because people are not used to that. People are not used to being held accountable. This is something that I see with my kids a lot. My kids, two of my three boys are, uh, they are playing solos for this contest, this band contest here in a couple of weeks. And they have an agreement with us, with my husband and I, to practice for 15 minutes a day. One plays trumpet, one plays trombone. Now my trombone player, my oldest, he says he wanted special lessons. So lessons with somebody else. He hasn't at school, but he wanted a private lesson to support him in getting just a little bit more confident in his music. My middle schooler, my, my, my middle child did not want extra lessons. He was fine with what he had. But my oldest says, oh, I'd like some private lessons. Let me tell you about what happened over the last week. And it was spring break. I will give them that. It's been spring break. But still, my kids, the oldest, picked up his trombone to play when the private instructor came over. And then today, he'll play when the private instructor comes over. But in between, he didn't practice. And my middle son, he hasn't practiced for a week. Now, here's the deal. That stuff as parents, from an accountability perspective, it used to drive me nuts. Even, even a, six months ago or a year ago, I would have said, come on, you told me you were going to practice for 15 minutes a day. You told me, let's go, come on. And then they would have been mad. I would have been frustrated. It just wouldn't have worked. But now I realize I've got a carrot. And this is beautiful because I get to hold them accountable. They both want to perform at this contest. And I get to be willing to let them fail. So they're going to perform at this contest in these solos, both at different times with the piano. This is a lot of work. And I'm going to be there. It's going to be beautiful. I'm going to cheer them on. I'm super excited about it. And how they show up in that moment is about them. And at the end of their solo, after we've celebrated and we get home, no matter how it went, I get to say, so how'd that go for you? Now they're going to get rated individually and they're going to be either okay with their rating or they're not going to be okay with their rating. And then they're going to get to have a real check-in with themselves and say, hmm, there were a bunch of days in there that I didn't practice. And if I would have practiced, how would that have impacted me? That's the best lesson I can give them <laughs> because standing there and fighting with them every single day to do what they said they were going to do I can, I can do that for them, but I can also look at the bigger carrot and say, oh, it's about the solo practice or the band concert or whatever the biggest thing that's coming up. And I can hold them to that standard. So if I'm holding someone accountable, I'm looking at the big goal and the results and I'm holding them there and I'm having the debrief because the debrief is often what's missed. The debrief is often what's missed. So that's number two, common pitfall number three, Fire person leadership, fireman leadership, firewoman leadership, fire person leadership, whatever terms you want to use, fire person leadership. And what that means is that we are holding the hose. Now, I've talked about this on the show before, but if you are someone who people are bringing their problems to, 
hey, could you support me with this fire? This is happening. Come to this fire. Put out this fire for me. And you're constantly in reactionary mode because everyone is handing you their fires. Hear me very clearly. The problem is not them. The problem is you. I say that in the most loving way. And it's not that you're a problem. It means the problem is how you're handling it. So you've got the hose, they're coming to you with your fire, with their fire, and you're saying, where do I put the hose and put the fire out? And then the next time a fire comes, you're holding the hose, not them. So they come and bring you the fire again. And this process just repeats itself over and over and over again until one day you're willing to let the house burn down. You're willing to put the hose down and say, I'm going to teach you how to hold the hose. And then instead of being in the lead holding the hose, you stand behind and now you are guiding the person that brought the fire to you how to hold the hose. Because when they learn how to hold the hose, guess what happens next time? They pick up their own hose and they put the fire out. But what I see over and over again is this fire person leadership where we are leading with the hose saying, where do you want me to put the hose? Where do you want me to put the hose? And then we're exhausted because we've got so many fires to put out. But the challenge is back to where we've been saying, are you willing to let others fail? Are you willing to let the house burn down? Because if you are, it only takes once. And oftentimes you don't even have to burn the house down. (laughs) Oftentimes you don't have to let everything fail. Oftentimes that's not what's going to happen, but you've got to be willing So if you put the hose down and instead focusing on coaching, not telling, see how these all relate. You focus on coaching, not telling. You put the hose down so somebody else can pick it up. And now you teach how to use the hose. Guess what happens? You don't have fires in front of you to put out because people are putting out their own fires. This is so exciting. It's one of my favorite parts of leading a team. Because when you see that first fire being put out by someone other than yourself, wow, like that's freedom. That's amazing. That's growth. That is freedom. That is everything you want to see in leading a powerful team. All right, we're going to go on a quick break. And when we get back, we still have two more common pitfalls to walk through. You are listening to the Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. Talk to you just after this break. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? Well, now you can. Inspired Choices Network now has its very own mobile app. Our free app offers live streaming shows, along with thousands of podcasts and TV episodes. Our shows cover a wide variety of topics. Whether you're waking up with us, carrying us through the day, and taking us to bed with you, we're always here for you to enjoy. We're easy to find. Just search for Inspired Choices Network in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Now, back to the program. 
Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. Today, we've been talking all about the common pitfalls of leading a powerful team. We've gone through the top three and we still have two left. So the, the fourth one that we're going to talk about is not clearly communicating expectations, not clearly communicating expectations. Now, here's the challenge. If you're working with a powerful team of A players, or maybe you've got B and C players, or however your mix is, but you're working with, you've got people in front of you, then the, oftentimes if they're really powerful, they're going to step in wherever there's challenges. So even if my job is very specific, my job is going to eke in to wherever there, there are holes that need to be filled. And now, now all of a sudden, my expectations of myself, of my role, they've gotten a little gray. They've gotten gray. Now, that begs the question of whose job are certain tasks? Whose responsibility are certain tasks? Now, a really great leader is going to clearly communicate expectations. And when these things happen, where we are shifting and we have just taken up tasks from everybody else, and when we see this happening with our team, it's okay, but we get to clearly communicate what the expectations are. Clearly communicate the expectations. So let me give you an example of this. So I have a team that runs, one of my businesses has a very small uh, staff of the full-time. Then we've got part-time, then we've got part, part-time. And so these are our instructors and that's, it, it ends up being about 40 people. But our part-time team, or our full-time team really only consists of three full-time. Then we've got three that are, they're heavy part-time. So they're almost full-time, but not quite. Now, it can be very easy for some of these full-time positions and these part-time positions to overlap. What happens when that occurs is that nobody really knows whose job is what. So we've got ordering of inventory, we've got facility upkeep, we've got class scheduling, we've got uh, all kinds of like just keeping the facility, the mats have a special procedure that they have to be to, to keep sanitary. But there are so many different components of running this business. But the second that one person on the team says, oh, the mats didn't get clean today. I'll just take care of that. But they don't say anything about it to the person whose job is actually to keep the mats clean. Then that person walks in and says, oh, somebody already cleaned the mats. That must not be something that I have to do. And then the next day, same thing happens. This person says, oh, the mats didn't get cleaned. Okay, I'll do it. And then the next day that that person walks in and says, oh, the mats got cleaned. I don't have to do it. Now, because we aren't communicating, those two people aren't communicating, but then as leaders, I'm hearing about this and I'm not stepping in. What's happening is that eventually it creates tension and it creates challenges because something just got added to somebody else's plate that may or may not have had the capacity to take that on. And from a, let's just look at it from a financial perspective. If a part-time person is taking on something that was on a full-time plate, well, what just happened there? My part-time, maybe I'm paying them hourly, but my full-time's on a salary. It just shifted the balance of our financials. So there are a lot of ramifications for this, not just from a tension and an HR perspective, but also from a financial perspective, from an operations perspective. 
So this is really important to clearly communicate the expectations and making sure that everyone knows the expectations, that our full-time and our part-time employees know that this is the expectation. If something doesn't work within this expectation, it's okay, but we get to communicate around it. So one time somebody walks in and sees that the, the mats aren't clean and then says to the person that they clearly understand that it's that person's role and says, hey, I noticed the mats weren't clean. I went ahead and took care of them for today. Going forward, is this something that you're able to take care of? So hear that when, when people are able to have that communication because they know what their jobs are. Now, look at your environment. Are jobs defined clearly enough so that you would be able to know whose job is what? Now, in a lot of organizations, it's like an amoeba. I like jello. Have you ever made jello? The thing about jello is you put it in a container and the jello is going to move to the size of the container, regardless of the container that you put it in. So you put it in this like cup, jello takes the form of a cup. You put it in a bowl, jello takes the form of a bowl. You put it in a mold, it'll take the shape of a mold. So jello is an amoeba. Well, that's kind of like how our expectations can tend to be. Expectations shift and change. And while that might be nice because we don't have to clearly define and stuff can get taken care of, it creates a lot of tension within a team and it's a common pitfall. It's one of the biggest reasons. So when we look at these 181 reasons that I was reading to you at the beginning of the show, why people leave their jobs or questions that are on their minds or thoughts and processes, it comes down to a lot of that. Why are we leaving our jobs? Because I don't really know what's expected of me. Or I don't like what's expected of me because it always changes. Now, I am someone that loves change. And I get that I am unique in that respect. I love change, a very high level of change. And even I can tell you that over the last two and a half years, I have had my fill of change. Now, I still, I still, there's still more change that I can take in. But we as a world have had a lot of change. Would you agree with me on that? We've had a lot of change. And so knowing that we've had a lot of change and that there are a number of people that are at their change limits, then living in this amoeba land of not understanding expectations doesn't work. And why right now it's more important than ever to clearly communicate expectations. Now it is more important than ever to clearly communicate expectations because this amoeba of just constant change, it doesn't work for the average person. It doesn't even work for those of us that love change because we're at our change limit. So clearly communicating expectations is really important and it is why it is the number four most common pitfall. And now I'm gonna give you the number five. We're gonna talk about the number five most common pitfall and it is projecting. And what I mean by that is that we, we often, as a pitfall, we can assume that what motivates and inspires us is what motivates and inspires other people. How we wanna be treated, how we wanna be led is what other people want. One of the most common pitfalls. So let me give you an example of that. I'm somebody that sometimes likes a kick in the pants to get moving and motivated, inspired. I like the, come on, Kathleen, let's go. 
come on. And if you tell me that I can't do something, oh, buddy, am I going to prove you wrong? So if you really want to get under my skin, tell me that I can't do something, that it's not possible, because those are words that don't exist in my world. So when you say it's not possible, the first thing that comes into my mind is watch me. Now that's me. Now, I have created three other people in my life, my children, and it's a perfect example of children. I can also talk about it in the workplace. It doesn't really matter because it's the exact same scenario. My three children, of my three children, if I tell them that they can't do something, none of them get motivated that way. Oh, if you could see me right now, it's one of my biggest challenges. Because I want to giddy up and go. I want to say, come on. They said we can't do it. Watch us. But it doesn't drive any of them. Oh, it's so frustrating because I have to use a completely different leadership style with them. So this morning when my, my kids are up, so they just had spring break. They were, they were almost like sloth this morning. They got up early, but they weren't really, they were moving and they were ready to go earlier than they normally are, but they just, it's like not all the parts were connecting. And so I noticed when they had 20 minutes left before school, but they really were not motivated to do anything to, it was, it was literally like watching sloths at a zoo. So maybe in their natural habitats, but I said, okay, here's the deal. If you want to watch TV for 20 minutes because you're all ready to go. And that's fine. You should have seen in the moment that I said that they were lit up, ready to go on the edge of the couch, looking for the remote, turning on the TV, super excited. Now here's the deal. That does not motivate me. I could care less about 20 minutes of TV in the morning. Nothing about that appeals to me, but my kids love it. They're so excited about that. And so I got to shift my leadership style. I got to think about what would motivate them, not what would motivate me. I am highly motivated by, I said, when somebody says you can't do something. But if I go around telling people you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that, thinking that then they'll want to get excited by it, I might be seen as a dictator. It's possible. And so think about that. Think about what your style is and are you projecting that onto other people? Now, we've talked about communication styles on the show. It's actually one that you can go back if you're interested in it. You can go back to, I believe, in January or February. We talked about different communication styles, promoter, supporter, controller, analyzer. Yep, February. So you don't have to go back too far. But look at February, February that those shows. And what we're talking about is I tend to have more of a promoter controller style which means that I can get excited about something and I can drive something forward. But when someone comes to me crying with a, with a big challenge, I get to shift into what's going to support them. Because guess what? In that moment, my exuberance for life and driving things forward isn't going to work. So if I projected my natural style onto that person, I would be seen as someone that was harsh and didn't care. And so a common pitfall of leading a powerful team is projecting what motivates me or inspires me onto somebody else. When somebody is in a breakdown and they're crying and they're, they're really struggling, me saying, come on, you can't do that. This isn't the moment to cry, isn't gonna work. And so it's not that they're gonna change, it's that 
I get to shift into a different style. I cannot project how I am or how I'm showing up or what's going on in my life onto them. I get to shift. I get to change. So hear this. Here's the theme. When I said earlier about how it's us that gets to change. That's the theme of all of this. All these things that are happening around our team, they're just a reflection of us. Because as the leader, our team, they're truly a reflection of us. Think of it in your family. Kids are the exact same way. You created them. They're a reflection of you. Now, sometimes I don't always want to honor that. I don't want to always acknowledge that. When my kids are, are fighting, I think, oh, that's not me. But it totally is me. I created that. I am responsible. And so when I'm leading a powerful team and I'm into these pitfalls, I get to first say, "Mm, how did I create that? Let me see. Was I telling versus coaching? Was I not holding them accountable? Was I using fireman leadership? Is that why these fires keep popping up? Was I not clearly communicating expectations? Mm, Did I project? Mm, That's the first place we get to go. How did I create this? And so we get to ask these common pitfalls. All right, everybody, we are going to go on this quick break. And when we get back, we're going to wrap up the entire show. Talk to you in just a second. You're listening to the Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. Are you enjoying the conversations on the Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. And we are talking all about the common pitfalls of leading a powerful team. Leading powerful teams can be challenging, especially if your team is really powerful, which means that you you may have a lot of independently strong people. You may have a lot of independently strong people that play well with the team, and you may have a lot of independently strong people that do not play well as a team. You could have all of those. And as a leader, you get to figure out how to move forward. Now, I don't have to tell you that twice. Because you're self-identifying right now which of your teams I just described. So what are the common pitfalls of leading a powerful team? Telling versus coaching. Remember, telling versus coaching. It isn't about me having the answer or you having the answer. It's about how we teach someone else to find the answer, coaching. How we get them to ask themselves questions to be able to work through these challenges so that they don't always have to come to us with the questions so that they can be empowered to come up with the answers on their own. Number two, accountability. Remember, it's not just about what they said they're going to do in the moment. It's about holding the carrot and the vision for them and then having the debrief at the end, being willing to let them fail, saying that if you said you wanted 300 people at this event, I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to support you along the way. If you don't want to accept that support, cool. But at the end, we're going to debrief and we're going to look at what worked, what didn't work and what gets to change. Because when we do that, that's where we learn. And the goal is about learning. 
Number three, the fireman leadership. If you're putting out fires all the time, drop the hose. Stop holding on to the hose. Number four, not clearly communicating expectations. Not clearly communicating expectations. When we aren't laser about what the expectations are, when we let this be an amoeba of expectations, it means that we are robbing other people of knowing what it is that we're up to. And it creates a lot of tension. And number five, projecting how we are onto someone else. Projecting how we are onto someone else. Now, I'll give you just a quick example of all of these. My eight-year, my nine-year-old, gosh, he's nine already. This weekend, uh, he's, again, we had spring break all week. And he, towards the end of the week, was choosing not to listen. Just not really showing up at his best self. And my husband went up to have a conversation with him. And he was pretty rude to him. Now, Andrew is not usually rude. It was just in this moment, he just happened to show up that way. And my husband got frustrated and he was talking to him about it. And they both agreed on some punishments that were were pretty harsh. And they, they ended up working through that, working through all of those different pieces. But what was so important is that exactly what happens in the workplace is the same stuff that's happening at home. And so we can practice this everywhere. But the underlying distinction, the thing that is common is that what happens anywhere is what happens everywhere. And so if you're having these challenges at home, practice them there. It'll strengthen your skills at work or vice versa. But know that that these things that we're talking about, common pitfalls of leading a powerful team, they're showing up everywhere. They're showing up at home. They're showing up at work. And that's okay because that just means there's lots of opportunities to learn. Now, next week, we're going to talk about how to give feedback that doesn't create a world war. How do we give feedback? So exactly like we're talking about, if I'm willing to let someone fail and I'm willing to have that debrief afterwards, how do I give them feedback that keeps them excited and motivated? And how do I give it in a way that they want to hear it versus not projecting how I want to hear it? Now, I love feedback. It hurts sometimes, but I love it. (laughs) Things are working. Things aren't working. And so I have trained to treat feedback as neutral. And I realize that not everyone has been blessed with the opportunity to have that training. And so if I'm just going around at home or at work, just spilling out, hey, are you open to feedback? Let me tell you, my experience of you is that that dress is ugly. Now, that, that wouldn't necessarily land if I was talking to somebody who had a dress that thought it was beautiful. That doesn't necessarily land. So how do I say that in a way that's going to get this person to be excited about hearing my feedback and wanting more? That's the subject of next week's show. So we can laugh about it all we want, but feedback is one of the most powerful and loving gifts that you can give somebody. But oftentimes we tell ourselves that it is not something that we should give, that we hold back, that we're reserved. Now, where I live here in the United States, in the middle of the country in Iowa, we have a term for it, and it's called Iowa nice. What that basically means is I'm not going to give you feedback or possibly make you uncomfortable in any sort of way because that's not Iowa nice. So I'm going to avoid conflict. Now, on this 181 responses that I had that I was telling to you at the beginning of the show, many of these are about handling uncomfortable conversations holding uncomfortable conversations, engaging with people that aren't like you, that aren't like me. There are a lot of pieces here that says, how do I not be Iowa nice and yet still loving? And that's a really great question. And it's the topic 
of next week's show, how to get feedback that doesn't create a world war. And this is so important, especially right now, given the climate that we're in. Literally with a world war on the verge of happening, where we've got two countries, Ukraine and Russia, that are that are, are really struggling right now. And so I'm not going to get into it from a political standpoint over there. What I'm saying is that this how to give feedback that doesn't create a world war is really important at any time, but especially now. How do we hear other people's feedback if it isn't what we want to hear? So that's next week. But I want to wrap up today's show, common pitfalls of leading a powerful team right here. You heard them. Number one, telling versus coaching. Remember, tell is not going to work for you in the long term. You want to coach. You want to ask the questions. Number two, accountable. Hold people accountable. Have the debrief. Ask what worked, what didn't work, and what gets to change. Number three, fireman leadership. Put down the hose. Teach other people how to hold the hose because when you do that, you don't have to put out all the fires yourself. Number four, clearly communicate expectations. When you don't clearly communicate, it creates the amoeba of jello. We don't know what's our job versus somebody else's. And so then this is why people, people work a little bit more hours. You see that those hours ticking up. There's actually a statistic. I'll get it for you here. I don't have it right now, but I'll get it for you for next week. We'll talk about this. Is it for the amount of hours that you work over 36 hours, your productivity drops each hour. It's crazy, but this is why it happens. It's because we, our jobs eke into someone else's. And so we add extra hours to our week. Then we just get frustrated, right? That's where tension's created. And number five, projecting. How I hear things is not how you hear things. And so I get to understand how to speak in a way that you can hear how to not project. There are lots of common pitfalls of leading a powerful team, but these are just the top five and they're so important. If you have any questions on this or you want to hear more or learn more, please reach out to me, Kathleen Reeson. At Kath, my email is Kathleen at KathleenReeson.com. I speak all over the world and consult and coach with companies on these topics. So if you have any questions or want to learn more, let me know. Otherwise, I thank you so much for joining me every Monday, I show up with topics just like this. And I work with executives all around the world on these things that are bothering them so that they can learn. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you for listening to the Kathleen Reeson show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. Kathleen Reeson will return next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Have a great week.